Well, if not, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, that's where we're going to be coming from. And the story of a husband and a wife that one morning they were getting ready for church, or she got up and got dressed for church, and the husband was sitting, sipping his coffee, and uh, she noticed when it was about time to go that he hadn't lifted a finger to get ready to go yet, and she said, you know, what's going on here? It's time to begin going to church, and he says, I really don't want to go. And she says, what are you talking about? And he says, well, I can give you three reasons I don't want to go to church. And she says, well, what are they? And she says, the congregation is cold, nobody likes me, and I just don't want to go. And she was, thought it over for a second, and she says, well, she says, I got three reasons that you should go to church. She says, the congregation is warm, and there are a few people who like you. Besides, you're the pastor, so get dressed <laughs> and get here. So here I am. So, uh, no. We're planning on looking at, uh, we've been going through, as we've been filling in here, the purpose of the church. And when we really look at the church, uh, it's, sometimes it's confusing. Uh, occasionally it, it's carnal. Uh, but it's, it's uh, really ever divinely led by Christ when he is the center of it. And so as we're looking through things today, I want to talk about the necessity of the church. And it's said that it has many critics, um, but no rivals. So a lot of people can be critical of the churches, um, but it really has no rivals. And why is this true? Because the church is the only institution whose sole purpose is to depopulate hell. And so if you think about that, that really gives us the mission of, of why we do what we do. It's to save people from going to hell. It's to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to really have that life that is exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever imagine. And we can see people in the world today, a lot of them uh, look like they're happy. They, they, they gather the, the things in this world that they think will make them happy. And I think we've all been there. I've been there. You know, I, well, if I have this man, that's going to just make life so much easier and life more enjoyable. And, and we find that those things, after a while, sort of tarnish or become work. And the only joy that really lasts is that in our relationship with Christ. And so it's absolutely necessary for the necessity of the church to go forth and do the work that it has been called to do. And it's in Matthew 16 here where Jesus uses the word church. For the very first time. And when I was researching this. And I, and I came across it. That sort of struck me as, as odd. Because it seems like I've always heard about the church. Now they talked about the temple. In, in the Old Testament. And earlier in the New Testament. Um, but it's really the called out ones. And so this is the first time. When Jesus really talks about this church. And we come into this famous confession. Of Peter. And uh, you know. There's, there's religions that. Uh, hold Peter up very highly, and what I always say is, you know, if your name is in the Bible, um, there's a reason for it. But God used him in a way and, and made some declarations off of this profession that he said. So Jesus asked the questions, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And I've often said, this is a question we can ask ourselves. Who do you say that, that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? And they replied, as they heard from the crowd, some said, you're John the Baptist. Some had thought maybe John the Baptist had been reincarnated or brought back. Some thought he was Elijah or Jeremiah. 
or one of the other prophets. They didn't really recognize him as the son of God. And so they were thinking these are uh, some of these past figures of God that have come back to us. But he says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And ever the spokesman for the group, Peter, I mean, he was one of the disciples that just always seemed to um, be out front. I, I like Peter because a lot of times he would stick his foot in his mouth. He was zealous. He was passionate about the Lord, but he didn't always do things right. And I think there was just this genuineness about Peter. But he was always a spokesman sort of for the group. He was quick with his answers, and I think this is one of the times, and it was good, and he stepped forward to answer, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And, and what, a, what a, a testimony or what a statement that that was. And that really meant he was the Messiah, the anointed one. Peter was saying, I recognize you as the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the son of God that has come to us. And, and so clearly Peter in this instance had gotten it right. We've seen where Peter has, has made some blunders in the past, but this time he got it absolutely right. And he was not the, the first to recognize Jesus as Messiah, but he was probably uh, the most bold or this was the fullest confession of who Jesus was to this point. And so the dialogue goes on a little bit more because once Peter makes this famous confession or profession, Jesus makes a, a few things on his own. And so the statements really provide insight into the church and, and what is the purpose of the church. Now the church today in society has become sort of a, an option. It's become sort of a secondary thought. It's become, um, I think, pushed down quite a bit as far as a priority in people's life. And Jesus instituted the church for a purpose and a reason. So there's different forums I get on from time to time or different dialogues that I have with people. If it's, if it's at the prison or if it's in the community, it really doesn't make much difference. But people give you reasons why they don't want to go to church. I can worship God out in my woods and you know, out under my trees, which you can and you should. You should worship God wherever you are at, if you're in the hospital, if you're in the woods, if you're out on a boat. But God has called the church for a purpose. It's called the called out one. So again, you know, there's churches that have membership. It may make you a member of that body or that congregation, but the true church is those that have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's got a, a purpose for us. And we got to really understand that it's an important calling that God has on our life and that God has for us. And, and so Jesus makes these statements to sort of this fledgling group of, of, of apostles and followers that really a lot of times got stuff more wrong than right. And, and I think we can relate with that sometimes in our life. We try to do things the right way all the time, but what we flounder and we make mistakes and we get tied up in different things. But they were going to form this foundation of the church, of what we call the church today. And so Jesus has um, his thumbprint upon the church. And he's got a work that he wants the church to do. And it's a very necessity in our lives today. And we need to understand that. You know, sometimes um, as I've dealt with people, you know, people will start raising their kids and their kids get young. And they say, well, I'm going to let my, my kids make up their own mind, their own choice. And they're just little children. I mean, we all reach the age where we can make the decision of what we want to do. We know right from wrong and we know what we can do. 
Uh, but sometimes we let little kids do that, but we wouldn't let them, you know, play with a box of poison. We wouldn't let them do other things. And so the Bible tells us, train a child in the way he should go. And the testimonies this morning about you young people are just, I think it's fantastic. And it's good to see families that raise their children in the fear of the Lord and in the glory of the Lord and in the word of the Lord, that they might know the goodness of God and to show that it's an important part of our life. And even like our story this morning about the husband and wife, you know, many times the husbands don't go. And I shared, I think a few weeks ago, you know, that, that story where the little child didn't want to go because dad didn't go. And uh, mom said, well, dad used to go when he was your age. And so the little boy went and asked, did you go when you're my age? Yeah, I went every Sunday when I was your age. And so he went back, told his mom, he says, well, I'll go too, but I don't think it's going to make much difference because it hadn't made much difference in dad's life. So we are to be a light in our community. We are to reach out and make a difference in people's lives. We are to um, not just preach at them. We're not just to uh, point the direction or tell them what they're doing wrong. Um, I think there's enough critics in the world today. The word of God speaks for itself. But he tells us to, be, um, to make disciples of all nations. That we are to go out into the world and walk along with people through their difficult times. You know, a lot of people go through struggles in their life, and, and some of us have been there where we just really don't know what the next day holds, and sometimes maybe even the next moment holds. And to have a friend or somebody that comes alongside of you and, and will walk you through that part. You know, I had a, a real good friend one time. I was going through a, a terrible uh, spiritual battle in my life, and just life was sort of just a mess, and, and you know how that gets, and... And uh, he had called and wanted to get together. I was like, no, no, no. And he had talked with my wife. And he, he, he finally called and got a hold of her and said, tell him I'll be over. And, and he came over. It was like 10 or 11 at night. And we went out and rode until the sun come up. And we talked about things. See, to me, that was an example of, of a Christian friend. He was going to be there. He was going to walk me through that. He was going to be with me. He would give me counsel. He was one that uh, never sugarcoated anything. You know, he, he said, you know, if you want the truth, I'll tell you. If you want something sugar-coated, he said, go buy a donut, okay? He was going to tell me the truth. And so the church is here to proclaim the truth, but it's also here to come alongside with people and to help them in their walk. So are we doing that as uh, his church? So the first thing that we're going to see in the work of the church here through the scriptures is in verse 17. Uh, it goes and says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So we see the work of the Father um, that is happening. And so we understand in the sovereignty of God that God is in control of all things. We have the opportunity to make choices in our life, but there's nothing really that, that takes God by surprise. It's not like uh, all of a sudden we do something or something happens in the world and this big political uh, world that we have and all of a sudden God says, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. No, God knows the things that are going on. But it's the work of the Father. In, in John 1.11, we're told that Jesus came to his own, which was the Jews. So when we read the history of the church, we see that Jesus first came for the Jews, but they did not receive him. And we might ask ourselves, well, why didn't they receive him? Why, why didn't the Jews? I mean, Jesus came speaking scripture. He came uh, fulfilling all the prophecies that, I mean, that's a whole study within itself. Why didn't the Jews receive him? You know, it's because of God and his good pleasure really had not revealed the truth to them yet at that point. 
God had not opened their eyes. So we understand, even in the point of salvation, that nobody comes to the Father unless he draws them. Now, we can hear the voice of the Father, and we can reject him. I believe in free will, so I believe we could reject him. But they, he had not revealed that truth to them yet. They witnessed Jesus healing the sick. You know, put yourself back there. I'm, I'm sort of a person that when I read a, an account of something or I read a story of something, I like to, to put myself right in the, the middle of the story. And it doesn't matter if it's a cartoon like Winnie the Pooh or whatever. I always just sort of put myself in the middle of the story. How would I react to these things? And so I'm thinking as the Jews are there and, and walking alongside Jesus, what a, what a wonderful thing that would have been just to, to see him and to be close to him and to hear his words. Someday we're going to be able to do that. But as these disciples and as these apostles and as these Jews and, and the Gentiles and Samaritans, as all these people were hearing Jesus, they witnessed him healing the sick. I mean, they were on death's doorstep and poof, you know, be healed. And they were healed. He, they saw him cleanse the leper. And back then, I mean, lepers just didn't get cleansed. They were out until they sort of died. They were segregated from society. They were pushed away. But he cleansed the leper. They saw him feed 5,000 people with just a couple loaves. It was probably more than 5,000, counting women and children. But with just a couple loaves of bread and a, and a few fish. And then there was baskets left over. They had saw all these things. They saw him even raise the dead. And yet they didn't believe. Sometimes in our lives we say, well, you know, if, if God would just show like this miraculous thing, then I would believe. I, I don't think we would unless the Father opens our understanding, unless the Father opens our eyes to the truth. And that was the problem with the Jews. And so really when we look at the scriptures and what the truth is in it, that it's, it's really impossible to grasp um, God's reality and his, his holiness and all these things, apart from him being allowed to reveal that within us. And that's why he called it a mystery. And so we have the word that sort of unfolds this mystery, but we, we really can't understand these spiritual realities in our life until God opens our eyes. And, and so Peter did not deduce from logic that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, he didn't sit down and figure it out and and, and, you know, do as, you know, well, this can't be, and this is, and this, and, you know, sort of get everything in line. He didn't do it that way. He did not come to a, a conclusion based on uh, maybe a factual or a careful evaluation of the, of the practical evidence that was out there. Because there's really nothing about Jesus' birth that has practical evidence. I mean, he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So we would say, well, that's odd. I don't understand how that can happen. So there's no like real evidence of that. It was the work of the Father that enabled him to discern that. And that's why he says, you know, right answer, Peter. It was the Father who revealed this to you. So we see that in, in the necessity of the church, we need the Father to reveal to us as a body and as individuals what he has for us. You know, so many of us today believe that... Um, Entrance into the church is, is determined by eliminating all the doubts that are out there. And I know as a pastor, you know, sometimes I've read books, I've, I've read a lot of books, but we just think that if we can present some reasonable and rational explanation of the gospel, if we can plug all the holes of, of these other faiths or other beliefs, if we can 
um, stop all the arguments so that everybody's only left with one possible conclusion that they'll be saved. But that doesn't happen, does it? We've known people since the first century. Uh, well, we haven't known people that long, but people since the first century, and we probably know people that have sat in church their whole life. They, they've, they've, you know, I, I shared that story about the, the boy at Lincoln Hill School when I was there, and, and he came and he wanted to start a, an Awanas club. And so I called him down. I, I was fascinated by that. And yet he was telling me all about Awanas. I knew all about Awanas, but I wanted to, he was just talking, and, and uh, he was telling me how many scriptures he had memorized. And it, and it was just amazing, you know. I mean, it was like 300. Someone's like, I don't even have that many memorized. And he had all these memorized. And so I asked him, I said, what, what are you doing here? And he went on to start telling me about his crime. And I, I said, no, 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 no. You, you have all this knowledge. You got the word of God memorized. What are you doing in, in this basically a maximum security juvenile prison? He says, I never applied it to my life. So we know that people sit in church their, their whole life, maybe, and they can sit under great teachers, great expounders, uh, great pastors, but they're still going to hell because they've never entered into that relationship. They've never accepted that gift that Jesus Christ has offered through the cross. So just like Peter, our spiritual journey really needs to be fueled by this, is that the Father... Uh, reveals the truth to us. He alone, it says, makes the blind to see. You know, Jesus talked many times, you know, having eyes they do not see, having ears they do not hear. You've shared the gospel with somebody before and they look at you like a deer in the head, like, like, and so we think, well, I'm just not presenting it right. It's just they don't want to hear it or it's that God hasn't opened their eyes. So we plant the seeds. God has called us to be seed planters. I love farmers. I've never been one. Um, I've always sort of like tried to be a mini farmer, but I don't know if I even have it in me to do that. But they plant the seed. You talk about faith. What does a farmer do? He goes out and he plants this seed. You know, a, a guy rents some of our land up north here, and and uh, I didn't know that he had planted it. And I was talking to him at a at a ball game, and he said, "Oh yeah," he says, "I got it all planted," but he says it's not going to come up until it rains. So we go out and plant seed, and what we can say is that seed is probably not going to sprout until God speaks to that person, until God opens their understanding, their eyes, and their ears. So we have the work of the Father, and then we have the work of the Son. So in verse 18, it goes on to say, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So we see that God is going to use, or Jesus is going to use Peter in a very... Um, specific way, a very foundational way even, for the establishment of this new thing that they're calling the church. And, and, and Peter is all up for it. Peter is, he's game for this. Um, and so I want us though to make no mistake about this fact is that Christ is the one who builds on it. It's not us. It's not, it wasn't Peter. It's, you know, we do our part, but it's Christ that builds. So you know, in the, the Gospels, Paul or uh, Paul talks in the epistles about, you know, one, wa one plants, one waters, but it is God who gives the increase. Amen. So what we want is God to build whatever it is that he's doing in our lives, in our families, in our church community. We want God to do the building of it. We are out there spreading the seed, and we're waiting God to, to rain his, 
his uh, wisdom and his, his glory upon those things to make them sprout into doing what it is that he wants them to do. And so the word church really means the called out ones. So again, we see this as God is going to do his work that, that Peter started way back then. God has been building that ever since. And so we have these called out ones, which refers to those who are dead in their transgressions and sins. So to be called out means we have a personal relationship with Christ. It means that we are dead to the sins in our life and to the, to, to the ways of the old. And we've risen anew with Christ. It, you know, sometimes Christianity, we think, well, if we go to church enough, we're a good Christian. If we do enough good deeds, we're a good Christian. If we give enough money to this charity or that charity, uh, certainly I'm going to be a good Christian. The word Christian means Christ follower. And so the question I always have with people is, are you following Christ? There's a lot of people that profess Christianity, and why are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I, I believe in God. Okay, well, even the demons believe, and they tremble. A Christian is a Christ followers. That means that we have Christ as the priority in our life and we want to follow him wherever it is that he calls us to go. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. If, if being a Christian was easy, everyone would be one. And we see really uh, a decline somewhat in, in Christianity as the world polarizes more and more. Are you a Christ follower? Are you alive in, in his son, Jesus Christ? And that really becomes the question. Um, we're told by Christ here that the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. Hades is a little different than hell. Hades is this. It's the realm of the dead. It's the realm of the dead. You know, there was a mile or a, a movie out one time called The Green Mile. I don't know if any of you saw that. It was Tom Hanks. And, but it was about death row sentence. And they had these guys on death row, and they used to call them dead man walking. So because they were sentenced to death, eventually they were going to be executed. When we look around the world today, those without Christ, they're really, they're really dead men walking. They're dead people walking. But it says that this world is not, or the Hades, it says the gates of Hades, which we could say, again, is the realm of the dead, are nowhere going to exercise its power over those who God has called, over the work of God. God's work is always going to prevail. We can read the statistics and say churches are, are getting smaller and how many pastors uh, retire or resign uh, because of the stress, how many churches close their door every week. But God has given us this promise that his work will not be stopped. So a lot of times, some of those churches and some of those people, they're not relying on God, they're relying on themselves. Or it can be a profession or it can be whatever. But Jesus gave that promise that the gates of hell will have no power over those who have called on his name. So those that are saved and who have received the gift of life through the sacrifice on the cross. So we have nothing to fear from the world, but we are called again to be lightness into the darkness. And it's amazing you can have a dark, a dark room, totally dark. If this room, if you could black out this whole room and have it just pitch black and one person was to light a little tiny match over in the corner, we would all see that light. See, there's power in light and there's power in Christ and what he has called us to do. And so we have the work of the Father, we have the work of the Son, of course, is the redemption. And then we have the work of the church. And so in verse 19 it says this, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven also. So Peter has given this authority to declare uh, that which God has called him to do, entrance into the kingdom. Uh, but it relate, relates totally to the preaching of the gospel. 
See, the key to everything is the Word of God. You know, the Bibles that were given out, you know, I, I pray that, that you read those and that you mark those and take notes in those things. And, and each of us, you know, should have Bibles. I know there's so many different versions today. Sometimes people don't always uh, carry their Bibles with. But, you know, you need to spend time in that Word because those that Word is really the, the key to things. And, and throw, though um, uh, Peter declares um, these things, um, God grants entrance to and exclusion from. It's God's word that shows you how to get in and what will keep you out. And so later we see that Peter uses the keys of heaven, uh, of the kingdom of heaven, to open the doors to the Jews. So if, if you were to look in Acts 2, the book of Acts is sort of about using these keys that God has uh, provided Peter. So he uh, opens the doors to the Jews in Acts 2. He opens the doors to the Samaritans in Acts 8. He opens the door to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And once Peter has done this through Acts, you actually see Peter's role diminish more in the scriptures. See, sometimes God calls us for a purpose and a reason. And Peter was fulfilling that which he had done it. Because once the doors are open, keys are no longer necessary. Have you ever thought about that? That's why a lot of people, you know, they leave their house unlocked. I don't need to carry keys around. Once the, key, once the door is open, once the key is used and it's open, there's no need for that. And so Peter opened up the doors to all this. A.T. Robertson said this. He said, the same power given to Peter belonged to every disciple of Jesus in all ages. Do you know that you had that same power that Peter had? The same power that Paul had and James and the disciples the, the same abilities that, that, that uh, the women of the Bible had when they went out and shared down by the riverbanks in the studying of, of God's word. We have that same power that God had given back then to share that gospel. We can stand boldly and proclaim the gospel message. He is the first to bring the good news to these people groups, but he certainly wasn't the last. And so the necessity of the church is this, is that we need to continue on. That responsibility falls on the church. It falls on us to go out to a lost world, to go out to people that are searching and, and, and trying to find fulfillment in, in all these different things and share that gospel message, that message of hope, of love, of grace, of mercy. We show them what Christ has done for them. We dare not drop the ball on this because this is what we have been called to do and there's too much really riding on our faithfulness and faithfulness is a choice that you and I are going to make as we serve our communities I wanted to close by sharing a, a story that was uh, I think very appropriate to maybe what we see going on in the world today with some of the churches but it says on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred there was once a crude little life saving station the building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding area, wanted to be associated with this station, and give of their time and their money, an effort to support the work. New boats were bought, and new crews were trained. The little life-saving sta uh, station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station 
were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for the first refuges of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds. And they put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going out to sea and saving missions, on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in its club's decoration. There was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought out boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club where the victims of, shipwreck, of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. A smaller number insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. The small group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could get their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes and had occurred at the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that uh, seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but most of the victims now drown. Are we a church like that? Because that's what's happening to the churches today. You know, when we look and see who God has called for us to work with, I saw a little uh, a statement that I, I just want to close with, and it said, uh, we spend most of our lives avoiding those people who Christ came to save. Are we out in the highways and the byways? Are we out reaching to the lost? Or have we become more of a social club in our goals, in our missions? I would pray that we haven't, and I don't believe that we have. Like I said, we have two men out today doing that. We have community Bible studies. We have these things that are going on. We need to reach out to those that maybe the world looks down upon because Christ has said his mercy is rich, his grace is overflowing, and his love is incomprehensible. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for the word of God. We thank you for the calling on Maple Grove here. We thank you for the families that are committed to do your work. Lord, all of us have room in our life to grow and to do better and to do more. As we did the Lord's Supper today, we have a time where we examine our lives and we look and we can ask the question, Lord, what is it that you have for me? And Lord, we don't want to just be busy for the sake of being busy because we can be doing a lot of godly things but not necessarily the things of God. So Lord, help us. 
Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our, our vision. Help us in the priorities of our life. Help us to understand that you are the reason for the church. You are the reason for our lives. The road is narrow, it says. Few are them who find it. Lord, help us to be those signposts that point people to the one true God. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.